Just to let you know that we had a problem with the main recording system for this week's sermon. This has meant that we need to upload from our backup recording device, and this has affected the quality of the recordings as we upload. from Psalm 39, beginning at verse 1, and can be found on page 542 of the Old Testament section. I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will keep a muzzle on my mouth, as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was silent and still. I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. While I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, let me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing to your sight. Surely everyone stands as a mere breath. Surely everyone goes about like a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. They heap up and do not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, What do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am silent. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am worn down by the blows of your hand. You chastise mortals in punishment for sin. Consuming like a moth what is dear to them. Surely everyone is a mere breath. The second reading is from Luke chapter 16. Beginning at verse 19, it can be found on page 85 of the New Testament section of the Bibles. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away 
with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thank you, Richard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for all that it has to teach us. We pray that as we look at it together this morning, that you may open our hearts and minds to understand it and to let it really go deep within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we've got another of um, Luke's accounts of one of Jesus' parables. And like last week's parable that Brian spoke to us about of the dishonest manager, it's, uh, it's quite a difficult story. Um, But it's a vivid story, and it's actually so vivid that actually when I think about Jesus speaking this, I wonder whether or not he had particular individuals in mind as he was uh, describing them. The story is very simple, it goes like this. There was a rich man who enjoyed all the benefits of the wealth, who spent his money having a good life, ignoring the suffering man at his gate. This poor man, called Lazarus, was hungry and covered in sores. Eventually both men die, and uh, in the afterlife, the poor man is safe with Abraham, but the rich man is tormented by flames, separated from Abraham and Lazarus by a great chasm. It's a role reversal of this life, and so the rich man calls out to Abraham for help. He wants Lazarus to come and cool his burdens, but Abraham tells him the chasm is too great, and reminds him that He enjoyed good things in his earthly life, while Lazarus suffered. But now things are different. The rich man is so moved by this that he decides he needs to send a warning to his brothers so that when their time comes, they won't suffer in the same way as he is doing. But Abraham tells them that they have Moses and the prophets, 
And if they don't listen to them, they won't listen to someone who comes back from the dead. It's a story with a sad ending. We almost want the rich man to be given another chance. It's a story, too, of contrasts between the main characters. One of them is rich and the other one poor. One of them is named and the other one isn't. Did you know Lazarus is the only name given to anyone in any of Jesus' parables? The word Lazarus means El Azar, God has helped. But it's not thought that it's linked to any of the other Lazaruses that we read about in the Gospels. But it is interesting, isn't it, that it's the poor man whose name is mentioned and known. One of these men, as we've said, has so much, and the other one has so little. One of them wears fine linen, while the other one is covered with sores. As you know, the rich man's garments, purple garments, signify affluence. They're an outward, they're a visible sign of his wealth and his privilege. But Lazarus, as his outward sign of his poverty, has these sores on his body. That Greek word sores is the same word that's used for boils in the Old Testament when Pharaoh is refusing to let his people go and one of the plagues comes. I wonder if Luke is deliberately contrasting the fine purple clothing of the rich man with the oozing purple sores of the poor man. One man feasts and the other one starves. The rich man has enough food for a feast every single day. And that Greek word there for feast means rejoice or celebrate. It's the same word that's used when the prodigal son returns and the calf is, the fatted calf is, is slaughtered and they celebrate at a great party. This rich man is doing that every single day. Meanwhile, Lazarus lies at the gate. The last Greek word for this morning, the word balo, doesn't just mean lies down, it means thrown down, it means discarded. Dumped. There he's noticed only by the dogs. After their death, the contrast continued, but the positions have been reversed. So the rich man's buried in the earth, the poor man's carried up by the angels. Lazarus rests in comfort with Abraham, while the rich man finds himself in Hades, a place of eternal torment and punishment. And so we have this conversation as the rich man asks Abraham to send Lazarus to ease his pain. Interesting, isn't it? Despite their circumstances, the rich man is still looking on Lazarus as there to serve his needs. Abraham responds that this cannot be done. The chasm is eternal, too great to be crossed. And so the rich man begs Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers about what will happen to them and is told that they already have Moses and the prophets, just as the rich man himself has had. When Lazarus maintains that they will change their ways if someone comes to them from the dead, Abraham tells them that if they haven't listened to Abraham and the prophets, they will not be convinced by somebody coming back from the dead. The parable has a very clear meaning and offers a stark warning. And at the time, those who heard it would have been shocked by it, If you look back in the passage a few verses beforehand, you see Jesus is speaking here to the Pharisees. He's just described them as lovers of money. It seems clear that he's likening the rich man to one of them. It was the custom, remember at that time, to liken worldly riches with a sign of God's blessing. So if you were rich, you were in God's favour. Whereas if you didn't have any wealth, 
you were somehow being punished. And so the rich Pharisees definitely saw themselves as being blessed by God, as being special. And so this story would have been particularly offensive to them. But Jesus, throughout his um, ministry, is overturning that cultural understanding and pointing out that's not the way it is in God's kingdom. Rich and poor are equally important and valued. It's a theme that comes again and again, particularly in Luke. And when we only take out sections of Luke to look at each week, we don't always pick up on it. But right at the beginning of Luke, Mary sings her Magnificat as she becomes aware that she's carrying the Messiah. And she praises God and she says then, the hungry have been filled and the rich sent away empty. And then as Jesus begins to preach, he declares that he's been anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to bring good news to the poor. And later on in Luke, Jesus tells the poor that God favours them, but he warns the rich of what is to come. Later on, he tells his followers not just to invite the rich and influential to their parties and the friends and neighbours who can repay them, but also to extend their invitation to the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. This all echoes in Jesus' description of the kingdom of God as a wedding banquet when again the invitation is extended to the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Highlighting the importance of the poor and the marginalised and those that suffer in God's kingdom is central to Luke and the way that he tells us of Jesus' teaching. And it was very good news for the poor. It gave them hope. But it was very shocking news to the rich. And they received a very different message. Remember, the rich young ruler who asks Jesus how to inherit eternal life is told to sell all he has and give his money to the poor. This makes him sad. Jesus says, the rich tend to have more difficulty entering the kingdom of God. Like the rich fool, the wealthy store their treasure in ever larger barns they cannot take with them after they die. They may store up treasures on earth, but they are not rich toward God. So that's why it shouldn't really have surprised the Pharisees that Jesus has told us in this story that the rich man ends up separated from Abraham and his children and discovers that ultimately his privileged status in the world counts for nothing. He has to look up to see Lazarus far away. The image mirrors Jesus' words in chapter 13. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. Then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. Those who are last will be first. And some who are first will be last. Jesus really wants his, mes- his listeners to get the message that the kingdom of God is completely different to the kingdom that they're living in. That's what this parable would have meant to those that heard it at that time. They would have been shocked and offended by it. But I wonder what it means to us today as we sit and listen to it. Well, I think the central message is still exactly the same and still needs to be heard. The story tells us that the poor and the oppressed are important in God's kingdom. And the story tells us that God's judgment will be on how we use our riches and whether we attend to those less fortunate than ourselves. 
I think we have to be very clear about this. It really does matter eternally how we use those things that God has given us, whether we're talking about our money, whether we're talking about our time, whether we're talking about our gifts and our talents. They are there to be shared. They are given for the use of, for the good to other people. They're to be used to put right injustice. This isn't particularly comfortable teaching because we are among the rich of the world and like the rich man in the story, we aren't actually always very good at seeing those that are in need around us or at sharing our riches. But it's a parable that calls us to confront ourselves and our community because not only are we rich like the men in this man in the story, but we're also those that know the teachings of Moses. We know the teachings of the prophets. We, like him, are children of Abraham. And even more, we have the example of Jesus, the one who did come back from the dead. Clearly knowing the teachings, believing the teachings is clearly not enough. The teachings have to then make a difference to the way that we live. Over the last few weeks we've thought about parables as pictures that become mirrors and then turn into windows. And that's what we've done this morning too. We've looked at the story. That's the picture. Then we've thought about how the story challenges us about our lifestyle. And that's turning the parable into a mirror, reflecting the story back to us. But we can't leave it there. We have to now turn this story into a window or a door through which we can travel. Because our challenge is to respond to this story and to be changed by it. You know, when people encountered Jesus and turned to him, when they heard his teaching, they were changed as a result. Their behaviour changed, their lifestyle changed. Peter and James and John left their nets and followed Jesus. The tax collector left his office and followed Jesus. Mary and Joanna and Susanna left their homes behind and followed Jesus. Zacchaeus gave half his possessions to the poor and repaid those he'd defrauded. The woman at the well put her life straight and shared the good news. The man healed of leprosy told people what Jesus had done for him. The paralysed man had his sins forgiven and found he could walk. The lunatic who'd been chained up in a graveyard found that he could live an ordinary life. And the woman who had been bleeding found acceptance because she'd had the face to touch the cloak of Jesus. I could go on. People who met Jesus were changed. Their lives changed because they had met him. Real radical changes. And those changes continued into the life of the early church and the saints if we read their stories. New converts sold their possessions and gave to the poor. This is what real repentance is. Change of heart, change of mind is involved when we become a follower of Jesus. And again and again we find in scripture that as we are changed, we begin to see the forgotten people. We begin to see the poor, the powerless. We realise that in God's kingdom they are of infinite value. This story that we've looked at this morning is difficult for many of us because we live comfortable lives. And our comfortable lives stand in sharp contrast with the majority of people in the world. But the message is from the Bible. It's from the words of Jesus. And it is clear. The 
the question is, what will we do with it? In a way, we could see ourselves as those five brothers of Lazarus. Do we heed the warning that is given here before it is too late? Will we walk through the the window of the parable into a new reality of God's kingdom in the here and now of our earthly life? Because this parable is not about what happens when we die. It's about how we are to live now. Will the parable affect the way that we live and the choices we make with our money and our time and our gifts? I guess the question is really whether we will be Sunday morning Christians or seven days a week disciples, living lives that are radically different. I think we need to spend some time thinking about that, and perhaps that might be a question that you want to take into the prayer ministry team during the communion. If not, maybe find some time this week to think, what is it that I might need to do in response to this parable? What needs putting right? Who or what is the Lazarus that we are not seeing in our world? Who is the one God is putting across our path that would benefit from a rich, a share of what we have, whatever our riches may be? But I think this parable is also a question that causes us to be asked as a Christian community. This week I've read an article in The Spectator, and it was an article that was very critical of one of the new bishops in the Church of England. This bishop was criticised for talking about diversity for preaching about social and racial injustice and for repeatedly promoting the cause of those that are marginalised. The writer of the article thought the church should keep its nose out of those matters and it concluded with the hope that the bishop in question would, and I'm quoting here, put the job, the ordinary mundane job of being a bishop, above any political agenda. I wonder how familiar the author of that piece is, with what Luke says that Jesus taught us. I wonder how familiar they are with the political agenda of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Because as long as we live in a world where there is inequality in the distribution of wealth and opportunities, then being a Christian, being a genuine follower of Jesus, will inevitably mean promoting a political agenda which challenges the status quo, where we use what power and riches we have to help those that are suffering. That's the window that this parable offers us and invites us to walk through, both as individuals and as a church. A window into a world where the poor are blessed because their physical needs are met in the here and now. A world where their suffering is eased. And then I think we might begin to experience some of the real blessedness that comes from living in the kingdom of God. So may we pray. Heavenly Father, this parable is a hard parable for us to hear. I pray now that as we go into the week, you would give us time to think about what that parable means for each one of us. About what our riches are and how we might want to be able to share them better in order to ease the suffering of those that we meet and those that we hear about. And we pray too, Lord, that as a church, we would be ready and vocal in standing up for the oppressed and in sharing our resources with those in greatest need. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.